this is Allison Sheridan of the Nasillacast Podcast, hosted at podfeed.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Saturday, July 24th, 2021, and this is show number 846. Now, you would have thought by now my voice would be back to 100%, wouldn't you? But unfortunately, it seems to be running asymptotic to fully functional. You know, I was thinking about it this morning. I'm pretty sure that my number one passion is not tech. It's talking. And talking about tech is just the coolest thing ever for me. So not having a voice, this has really been torture. Well, the show is out a day early because Steve and I are joining Lindsay and her family in Montana for a full week right next to Glacier National Park. I mentioned last week that many thanks to the many fabulous contributors we have. Because of them, we will have a full show next week, even though I won't be here to do any of the recordings. However, I made an egregious omission in my list of people to thank last week. Terry Austin was actually the first person to make a recording for the show and send it in, and I completely forgot to thank him. So thank you, Terry, for being all around awesome. And in case it isn't obvious already, there will be no live show on Sunday, July 25th, because you're already hearing the show for this week. I'll be assembling next week's show with the live audience on August 1st, so we'll get together then. With the next week already in the can, that will mean my voice has two more weeks to heal, so let's all cross our collective fingers and toes that it finally gets back to normal. Now this week I've got a fun review for you, but I think it'll be overshadowed by an awesome set of reviews from Jill from the North Woods. I know I say that every single time, but she has really outdone herself this week. Then we've got a good chewy security bit segment where Bart gets down to the the details of the Pegasus Greyware from the NSO group and how the attacks were done and what it all means to us. A few weeks back, I told you about a really cool mini-series running in the Daily Tech News Show audio feed called Seniors in Tech. This is a set of interviews by Dr. Nikki Ackermans with old farts like me who are into tech. On July 17th, she interviewed Sandy Foster. If you've ever been to the live show or you're involved in our Slack, you know Sandy really well. You may also remember her from our Chit Chat Across the Pond segment about her tech, the tech in her Prius Prime electric hybrid car, and the segment she did on how to design your own quilt with the electric quilt software and many other tips on the show. I love Dr. Nikki's interview with Sandy because while Sandy and I are really good friends, I learned so much about her technical background that I didn't know. I highly encourage you to go check out the July 17th episode of Daily Tech News Show called Seniors in Tech, Sandra Foster, and you can get to that from a link in the show notes or in your podcatcher of choice. After Dr. Nikki had me on her Seniors in Tech series on Daily Tech News Show, she invited me to be on her podcast called Stories Your Granny Never Told, and that show with me on it is up this week. We talked about how I grew up spending my vacations on a sailboat and how excited I was when the first computer-aided design equipment arrived at my engineering job. Nikki opened the door for me to brag about how I am among the first podcasters and how I love to teach people about tech to this day. I told tales of an eclipse-chasing cruise and the time I met Gene Roddenberry, who's a fan of my show. We also discussed the feeling of being a grandparent. Stories Your Granny Never Told isn't a tech show. Rather, Nikki is interested in learning from older people about their lives. I had a blast doing the show with Nikki, and I'm going to turn the tables on her and have her on Chit Chat Across the Pond soon to talk about her world of biology and the study of brain trauma in bighorn sheep. You can click the link in the show notes to subscribe to the episode with me or look for Stories Your Granny Never Told in your podcatcher of choice. This week's episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond is another installment of Programming by Stealth. 
As we become nerdier while learning from BART, we'd started to add hidden configuration files to our Macs and PCs. On the Mac, these configuration files are hidden by default by putting a dot in front of them, and hence they're called dot files. Maybe you've stored your SSH keys as a dot file, or in our Git series, you created a user-level Git config file, which is another dot file. Or perhaps you've installed VS Code or Source Tree, which also add hidden configuration files. In this installment of Programming by Stealth, Bart explains the problem to be solved of how we manage these configuration files if we use multiple computers, or we migrate to a new computer, or we do a nuke and pave. He lays the groundwork for why he loves the dot file manager called ChezMoi from ChezMoi.io. The installment is a bit of a tease because after learning why we want to have a dot file management tool and why Bart favors ChezMoi for the job, he only lets us install it and run two commands before he says, and next time we'll start to use ChezMoi. You can find this episode in your podcatcher of choice under Programming by Stealth or in the full Chit Chat Across the Pond feed. And of course, as always, there's a link in the show notes. Exactly four years ago, Bart Bouchatz came on Chit Chat Across the Pond to talk about three of his favorite apps. The first one he talked about was Yoink from Eternal Storm Software. As Bart explained it, Yoink lives as a little shelf on your Mac screen, and it allows you to drag things in and out of that little shelf. Eternal Storms explains that you can drag things like a file from the Finder or an image from a website over to the edge of your screen and Yoink will slide out allowing you to drop them there until you need them later. I think the main idea is that you can stash a bunch of stuff and then switch to the app where you need the stuff and then Yoink that stuff back out. Bart was very enthusiastic about Yoink, so I bought it for the small sum of $8 on the Mac App Store back four years ago. Yoink is also available in Setup now, so you can give it a try for free there if you have a subscription. Now, I was super excited about trying Yoink after Bart described it, but for some reason, Yoink on my Mac didn't really solve a problem for me. I also found out that I don't really have a screen edge for Yoink to live on. I do most of my Mac computing using my MacBook Pro, extended to a big display on its left. The big display has my dock on the left, so there is no right edge because the cursor slides right off to the MacBook Pro's display. So I pretty much stopped using Yoink shortly after I tried it. Since then, I've fallen in love with the entire concept of a clipboard manager, and I use CopyM as my clipboard manager of choice. I love to be able to copy several things one after another and then switch to the app where I need those things and just go paste, paste, paste. It's possible that if I'd seen the light on the entire concept of a clipboard manager earlier, Yoink's interface might have worked for me. I love having a clipboard manager so much on my Mac that I really miss it when I'm on my iPad. CopyM is available for the iPad, but the way the apps are sandboxed from each other in iOS and iPadOS doesn't really automatically receive what you've copied. I tried for a long time to make it work for me, and I had limited success, so I gave up. I'm not quite sure what compelled me to give it a try, but I realized recently that Yoink is available for iOS and iPadOS. Apple makes it hard for clipboard managers of any type, including CopyM and Yoink, by not allowing these apps to receive input from other apps unless they're both open at the same time. I know this is for security reasons, but not being able to do things in the background really makes clipboard managers kind of limited in their value. You can open one app, copy, and then open an app like Yoink, and then Oink can immediately receive the clipboard because it's now in the foreground, but it can't do it without that dance back and forth between apps. Avoiding the switching back and forth between apps is exactly the reason to use a clipboard manager in the first place. 
There is a way to avoid this switching dance, however. On iPadOS, you have two good options to keep Yoink visible, slide over and split view. In a second, I'll get into explaining how to do that, but first let's just talk about the look and feel of Yoink. Yoink shows you everything you've copied in what I'm going to call a block view. It's a nice set of rounded rectangles with a title in a blue bar on each block. That title is the beginning of the text or the title and URL if you've copied a link or the name of the image, you've co- the image file you've copied. It's a very clean interface and gives you just the information you need. You can drag items in and out with your finger, for the most part, just like you can drag with a mouse into and out of Yoink on the desktop. In order to get into how to effectively use Yoink in the best way possible, I think, we're going to need to do some iPadOS learning. If you're not an iPad user, or maybe even if you are, let me elaborate on slide over and split view and how you enable them. The first thing to understand is that both are very fiddly to enable. Let me use an example to illustrate the process. I'm trying to find a way to organize the closet in my den to be more logical for storing computer equipment. My closet is basically a clothes closet with tons of unused space and I have to hang my microphones from hangers on the rail. My laptops and other equipment are stored in really cruddy plastic drawers on rollers in the closet. It's awful. Anyway, I've been researching sites and getting photos and links and measurements, and I'm collecting all of this information in the app Notability. I like Notability because it's cross-platform between my Mac, my iPad, and even iPhone if I get desperate. So in Safari on my iPad, I open a site like Wayfair, and I find a set of bookshelves that might be the solution. I can copy the URL, Command-Tab over to Notability and paste, then Command-Tab back to Safari, copy the title, Command-Tab back to Notability, and continue this back-and-forth dance until I have the dimensions and photo in my notes. But this is inefficient. If we can get Yoink open on screen at the same time, then it will collect all of the copied information, and then we can drag it in one fell swoop into Notability. At least that's the theory. To do slide over or split view on a supported iPad, we will need access to two apps at once. We'll call one app the main app, and the app that will split in or slide over we'll call the secondary app. To use split view or slide over, the secondary app will be dragged up on screen from the dock. If you don't have the secondary app already in your dock, simply open it, and then it will be on the right side of the dock where the most recently launched apps live. So let's start with slide over. We'll launch the main app, and then drag the secondary app up to the right side of the screen. As you start to drag it out of the dock, you will forget to tap and hold before dragging, and the dock will just slide right back down and nothing will happen. At least that's the way I do it eh, probably half the time I try to use this feature. All right, let's try it again. This time, tap and hold on the secondary apps icon in the dock, and it should kind of darken a bit. Don't hold too long, or you'll get the pop-up to share the app. All right, you got a hold of it now. Try again to slide the secondary app up out of the dock and let go of it when it's about halfway up on the screen. This should enable slide over, which puts the secondary app in a little floating palette. At the top of the slide over window, you'll see a little grab handle. You can use this grab handle to move the slide over app to the left side of the screen if you like, or to slide it off screen to the right. Drag your finger in from the right side of the iPad and it'll come right back. Unless you've got Safari open, in which case dragging from the right into the uh, screen will make Safari go back to the previous page you were surfing. Did I mention this was fiddly? Anyway, if this happens to you, this time slide your finger in just a smidge and then you should see a little chevron in the middle right side of the screen. Drag the chevron from the right into the left and your slide over app should come back. 
Now, if you want a pro tip, you can even switch between slide over apps if you've got some serious dexterity. Slide your finger up from the bottom of the screen under that SlideOver app, and you'll see whatever other apps are available in SlideOver. They kind of fan out for you to choose one. Depending on which main app you're running, you may be able to see the bottom of the SlideOver app. If you can, there's a black bar at the bottom that you can slide your finger on to switch between your SlideOver apps. Now, what I've never figured out is what algorithm iPadOS uses to decide what apps to allow you to use in SlideOver or what ones are available the time that you go to look for it. I can definitely tell you it's never the app that I need or want at the moment. To use an app in split view instead, you do the same action of making sure the secondary app is in the dock, at least temporarily, and then trying valiantly to drag it up on screen to the right. But this time, don't let go of it when you're partway up drag it all the way to the right side of the screen. If both your main and secondary apps are updated to support split view, you'll see the main app start to shrink to the left and a black area will be revealed on the right. Let go of the secondary app and you'll have both apps in a 50-50 split on screen. Now, if you don't want a 50-50 split, you can drag the handle in the middle of the split to make it 75-25 or 25-75 depending on your needs. When Split View was first introduced, probably more than half of the apps didn't support it, so you may have even given up on trying to use Split View. The good news is that these days, I find that most apps are compatible with Split View, and I can't remember the last time I tried to use it and it didn't work. Now, you may think that I'm just really clumsy at explaining this, but that's not it. Both Split View and SlideOver are challenging to enable, but with enough practice, you can do it possibly as high as an 82% chance of success. For more information, I put a link in the show notes to Apple's support article about multitasking. This is one of the main features that people really, truly hoped would get better in, uh, what is it going to be, System 14, 15, I don't know, whatever the, late, the next iPad OS is. But sadly, it looks like Apple thinks this interface is perfect. All right, now why was I giving that elaborate explanation of split view and slide over again? Oh, right, so we can have Yoink on screen so it's allowed to capture the clipboard. So picture this, I've got Safari open as our main app on the left, and I bring up Yoink and SlideOver. Now and only now, when I select the text description on the bookshelf I'm interested in, and I hit Command-C to copy with my keyboard, or use my finger like an animal, I'll see a pop-up on the screen that says, Yoink pasted from Safari, and whatever I just copied will now show in the Yoink shelf. That's what we wanted it to do. Now, you'll remember Bart loved the yoinking itself, dragging and dropping to throw things into and out of yoink. That works in yoink on iPad, so if you don't have a keyboard, you might like it better than using Command-C to yoink things. Now, I find that it works pretty well with images, but I found it a little trickier to do with text. Yoink has the concept of stacks, which allows you to put multiple things together and then paste them all at once, which might actually be useful for my example of these bookshelves. But I found that when I was trying to drag text, it would always stack my text with the image I had just yoinked. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted it separately. I finally gave in and I let it stack it. But when I used the yoink feature to paste the stack, it completely ignored the image. So I'm not sure that stack thing works as well as it should. I practiced some more doing drag and drop with text, and I think I've gotten the hang of dropping it as, as its own thing in Yoink, but for me as a physical keyboard user, it's way easier to just hit Command-C or even tap the copy button to get it into Yoink than it is to accurately drag and drop into Yoink. Now, once I collected the title, URL, price, dimensions, and image of a possible bookcase solution, I changed the main app from Safari to Notability. 
So I still have Yoink uh, over in slide over or split view, but now I've got Notability as the main app. Going in this direction, dragging and dropping out of Yoink and into my note-taking app was way easier than using the keyboard. Now, there are more features that kind of confuse me in Yoink. Let's say I've got a block of text I've Yoinked. As I said, I can drag it into a text application, and that works just swell. But if I tap on the block representing the text in Yoink, it slides over and shows it to me in a larger, more readable form. Uh, that's pretty cool. In the bottom left is a bulleted list icon, which when selected shows all 160 items I've put into Yoink so far. Instead of being in the block view, they're in a bulleted list. I could select one from the list to reveal it. Not sure why I'd do it that way, though, instead of just choosing it from the blocks list in the first place, unless maybe it had fallen way down in the list. Speaking of that block list, there's a three-dot icon in the bottom right of each copied item, which when selected allows you to perform several different operations. You can delete the copied item from Yoink, but if it's text, you can also go into edit mode, which is kind of cool. You can also select all, which selects every single thing you've ever copied into Yoink. I wasn't really sure what to do with it next after I copied everything, so I tapped the little icon in the bottom left, which turned all of my Yoinked items into one giant stack. I'm also not sure why I'd want to do that either, but I was offered a delete icon, so that might be a quick way to get rid of everything you have in Yoink, or I had an unstack icon. I availed myself to that to get back to where I started. Yoink on iPadOS can do even more. In the top of the Yoink window, there's a plus button that brings up several interesting options. You can browse the Files app and basically Yoink anything out of there that you like, kind of how you can Yoink from the Finder on the Mac. You can scan documents from the iPad's camera, but not during multitasking, uh, otherwise known as split view or slide over. I suspect that that's probably an Apple restriction as well. You can add a sketch, so if you're Jeff Gamut with a, an artistic talent and an Apple Pencil, that might be fun. You can import images and maybe even videos from the Photos app on iPadOS. The most interesting thing I found in the plus menu that I'm not sure I need is the ability to download files from a URL right within Yoink. I tested this by pasting in the URL for a recent podcast episode and it downloaded the audio file directly into Yoink. Cool feature, but I'll have to wait and see if that solves a problem for me. If you do own Yoink for the Mac, in theory you can turn on iCloud Sync so you can have all of your Yoinked items on both platforms. I say in theory because I had it turned on once before, but I noticed it was off again on my iPad. When I enabled it this time, I got a 503 error. Now, a 503 error means the website server is unavailable, so I'm not quite sure what was wrong with it right then, but I kind of moved on. Every week for the podcast, I create a bulleted list of all of the links to the different articles in an application called Feeder. One of the tedious things I do each week is I copy them from Feeder and I paste them over into Patreon on the web. And I do that along with the title and link to the blog post about the show. Now this is tricky because I want the pretty links that I've created in Feeder, I need them over in Patreon. If I forget to post to Patreon before I go down to relax on the couch after the show is buttoned up, I'd really like a way to do this from the iPad in my easy chair. But before Yoink, I had no way to do this and I would have to go back upstairs and do it on my Mac. Now, I think I figured out how to do it with Yoink, but it wasn't at all easy to figure it out. I opened up Downcast, and I went to the NoCellacast in that podcatcher on the iPad, and I looked at the show notes for the latest episode. They were all there, pretty just the way I wanted them. Selecting was tricky, because if you're not careful, the links will just open when you touch them. I eventually got them selected, and I was treated to seeing them in Yoink, and they were still pretty. 
because of course I had Yoink up in Slideover. Now in theory, I should be able to switch to Safari, start a post for Patreon, and then just drag those bad boys in. Instead, when I tried to drag them into Safari, Safari simply opened the first link in the list. All right, let's try tapping on the yoinked item so I can see the text up nice and big. At the bottom of that page, there's a share icon. I tap that, hit copy, tap and hold in the text window in Safari, and no paste option came up. Hmm, so I hadn't really copied them. Great news though, now, now Yoink has a second copy of the links because when I copied it, it decided to copy it a second time into itself. So I'm not really sure what that was. But finally, I cracked the code. Back at the block view, I tapped on the three dot icon for the links and I got a different copy button. When I used this copy button, I was rewarded with a paste option in Safari's text window and the links were pasted in perfectly. Now, I'm gonna make a confession to you right now. Approximately 0% of you will ever need to do what I just figured out, but I wanted to document it somewhere how I finally got that to work, so I took advantage of your attention and I did it right here. You know, I'd apologize, but you know, I'm not actually sorry about that. I'm rather proud of it. Now, the developer, uh, Matthias, saw what I wrote about this in my blog post, and he's asked me to make him a little video to show him the, the problem I found in the two different ways to copy, so he's looking into a, a way to make that a little bit easier. I love the responsiveness of him, and, uh, and I think that's really cool. Now, the bottom line is, I find Yoink a little bit fiddly to use, but I think it's designed about as well as it could be, given the constraints Apple has put on the developers. The important thing, though, is that I know it's actually good at solving a problem for me because I have continued to use it. If it hadn't suited my needs, I would have stopped using it. I think if you've been missing having a clipboard manager in iPadOS and it makes you keep reaching for your Mac to be productive, Yoink might be the right tool for you. According to the developer, Yoink, Yoink collects zero information from you and it's available for iPadOS and iOS for the grand sum of $5.99 US. Now, after I finished testing Yoink and writing up my findings, I started wondering whether I'd given copy and paste a fair shake on iPadOS. I wondered, did I ever try having it up in SlideOver or SplitView while I worked? I ran through the same scenarios I've described with Yoink, and sure enough, CopyM works great, absolutely perfectly on iPadOS too, with this, uh, you know, SlideOver and SplitView method. I was even able to copy the pretty links a little bit easier with CopyM. If I tap and drag from the far right of the list of links, it doesn't open any of them, it open any of them and it lets me drag them in with a finger. One more thing, uh, David Shenahan, uh, sorry, Sheneman made a comment on the blog post after I wrote it that there is a share sheet in iOS that can contain Yoink and if you copy something and simply tap on the share sheet and then tap on Yoink, it will copy that item into Yoink. So that's another way to get things into Yoink. So now you have two options for clipboard managers on iPadOS. Yoink from Eternal Storm Software and CopyM from AppRiware. And of course, there are links in the show notes. Let's give my voice another rest and I'm going to hand the microphone over to Jill from the North Woods. Hello, everyone. This is Jill from the North Woods. Today, we're going to be talking about weather apps. And I love weather. I've always loved weather. Ask my people at work. They know I'm a weather geek, too. I provide my own ad hoc forecast for people at my office, whether they want it or not. So when it comes to weather, I'm a true believer and I have a true love for weather data. That's what makes my iPhone so great. It's with me all the time. From the beginning of my time in IT, 
I learned a valuable lesson that weather apps are spyware. I had to go around as one of my first tasks on a support team and remove weather bug from everyone's machine who installed it. There were very few weather apps available at the time and weather bug was a good one. But when we looked at it, we determined it is a data tracker and a data seller. After all these years and all these additions, it eventually got sold to a company called Ground Truth. And Ground Truth says it is the leading location-based marketing and advertising technology company. They acquire a lot of software and their whole purpose is to sell data. There's no real question that Weatherbug, while being a very nice app, is just a data selling mechanism and it conveniently connects up to your smart thermostat to help you understand how warm your house is at the same time you understand the temperature outside. Isn't that nice of them? What can we do about the fact that a lot of weather apps are spyware or at least grayware? Not necessarily for the sole purpose of spying on us, but they do it on the side. So today we'll talk about my favorite apps, why I like them, their widgets, complications, and their security. I too wanted to answer the question for myself, how can I be a weather nerd while at the same time protecting my data? The first thing to understand is why weather is such a target of being spyware or grayware. And namely, it's because it's the one thing if it asks you if it can track your location, you say yes. Weather needs it. I have to let it track my location so it knows exactly what the temperature is outside wherever I am. If your game asked you if you could do your location, there's a good chance you'll say no, but not for weather. A lot of times these apps are owned by companies that have a vested interest in selling data. IBM owns two of the most well-known weather apps there are, the Weather Channel and Weather Underground. And to get the weather data itself, it can be a little expensive. There's all sorts of subscriptions that you have to have in order to get the data you need to produce a solid weather app. So they're looking to make money. And the weather industry is really competitive. There are only so many radars, so many models out there. So then it becomes a game of how well they can present the data, how much you can customize the data. And that means hiring a lot of developers and you have to pay for that. It's very expensive. In 2017, AccuWeather was caught selling location data even when the user said not to allow it. And they were doing the same old trick a lot of different apps were doing, which was polling Wi-Fi routers and Bluetooth devices and anything they could think of that could potentially leak out the location of the person without them giving them permission. 2019, the city of Los Angeles even sued the Weather Channel because it was doing bad things with location data. There was a company even from China that produced a free app called Weather Forecast, World Weather Accurate Radar. And it had more than 10 million downloads from the Google Store. And guess what it was doing? It was sending all the data to China. So you can see that this is something that is potentially a threat to your data and your privacy. Vice said to stop using weather apps at all. But you know what? I can't quit weather apps. I love them so much. And I think there are some good ways that you can stay safe while using weather apps. First of all, Apple came out with a fantastic feature called Precise Location, which means you can turn off Precise Location for any app that doesn't need to know exactly where you live. They may need to know what town or city you're in, 
But do they need to know your address too? Hmm, maybe not. The second tip is maybe don't use any location service and manually add your town or city to the weather app. And this is a really good tip. It just requires that you remember to do it. I always forget to do that. And I like my apps to follow me so that if I'm in Los Angeles, it tells me what the weather is in Los Angeles. Tells me when there's fires in Los Angeles. All sorts of things I like it to do automatically. But if you don't need that kind of attention, stop giving it location services and just look it up manually. And if you must give it your location, you can say to only allow your location when the app is running, when you're actually looking at the weather. The fourth tip is to use a browser instead of an app. Many of the apps like the Weather Channel, AccuWeather have great websites. And to be honest, both the Weather Channel and AccuWeather's websites are a lot better than their apps. So you actually gain functionality by not using the apps. So the first app we'll talk about is the app that lots of people love, and that's called Carrot. Carrot has become, in the last few years, a lot of people's favorite weather app. And it's not just because it's funny and maybe a little bit nasty when it comes to the humor. It pretends that it's a robot that hates human beings, and it tells the forecast from the point of view of that robot. It even has an AR feature where you can see that robot inside your living room with floating weather data all around it. It's funny, and it has a game, and there's all sorts of entertainment that goes with it. But the thing that you may not know is it is actually the best weather app out there. It's amazing. It does it all. So first of all, if you don't appreciate its humor, you can actually turn it off. There's a setting out there for personality that's called professional level. And if you turn it to that, it will act like every other weather app out there. It's raining. It's going to rain tonight. It's sunny right now. It will just tell you exactly what the weather is. But if you set that to overkill, it gets downright nasty. And there's a few settings in between there. You can also decide that you want political settings, which is everything from apolitical, where it won't give you a political joke, to centrist, anarchist, and everything between. So once you get those personality settings to be exactly what you like them to be, it's actually pretty funny. There's also a setting there, regardless of which settings you picked previously, that indicates whether or not you want it to swear. You can have it read the weather for you, and it has about 20 different voices. It'll also read the insults for you, too. You can configure the screen layout, the font size, the colors. You can pick different icons for the app. It is entirely customizable. Carrot has some widgets that you can place on your iPhone desktop. Really good ones that talk about the forecast, that talk about the hourly forecast, and some really good radar views. A big radar or a little radar. And that used to be somewhat hard to get, but Carrot did a really nice job of creating those widgets. It also has amazing complications for your Apple Watch and all sorts of ways that you can look at the weather on your watch. Plus, the app is really nice and has a lot of details on it in a very well laid out way. Care provides you with two preset Apple Watch displays that will make your weather watching dreams come true. They're both great and only available with the premium subscription. Care Weather can get its data from Dark Sky or Weather Underground. It has a fantastic privacy policy, and you can ask it to delete your data. So for iOS and Google, Carrot is a free download. The $15 is for the Mac app. And I'll tell you, for Mac, it's really awesome because there are not a lot of really good weather apps on the Mac. I almost tossed out my Mac just for that reason alone. What do you mean there's not a good radar? What do you mean I can't find a good weather app? 
but then Carrot came along and it just saved the whole Macworld for me. You can also upgrade to the premium for $1 a month or $4 a year to remove the ads. You also can become an Ultra member for $45 a year. You can find out more information at meetcarrot.com. Dark Sky is another really great weather app. And of course, it made itself a name among the weather geeks years ago. And it got so much attention that Apple bought it. And it's really famous for its very precise accuracy. It's really good weather forecasting. And for features that will tell you whether or not you need to dress warmly today or bring an umbrella. It doesn't track you, which is great. Dark Sky has a really simple interface. The homepage just shows you what the temperature is. There is a good amount of detail there, and it lets you zoom in out of various pieces of data and access a lot of weather information and forecasts from your particular area, either in the past or the future. It has a good radar on it. I find that it's a little oversmoothed, a little overdressed up for my liking, but it does a trick when you need a quick radar. It also has a nice watch app and some complications available for you. Dark Sky has a really good set of notifications, but you can't control them in exact details. It mostly wants to know if you want to get weather notifications, whether it's going to rain or it's going to be a tornado, what kind of notifications do you want to get, but they aren't very detailed. Dark Sky also has no widgets for your home screen, which is a real shame. Dark Sky is only for iOS and is $4. And then the last weather app I'll talk about is something called Weather Underground, and it is free. There's a premium level too. It's a terrible website, but a really good app. I think it has a really nice interface. The data comes from everything from professional locations to amateur weather stations. So it is what they call hyper local because it could be your neighborhood if someone has one of those weather stations near to you. You get to see the wind and the weather and the temperature and all the stats that you're used to seeing. Again, it has a good radar, and the radars are not overproduced, not overcolor emphasized, nor desaturated. It looks appropriate. You can look at it forward in time, which is actually why I like the app the most. I like to be able to look at the whole week is going to look like in one screen from rain to wind to weather. And Weather Underground gives that to me. As I mentioned, it has a premium. And with the premium, you can also create activities based on weather rules. So you could say something like, when I bike, I like it to be under 84 degrees Fahrenheit, over 45 degrees Fahrenheit, and have the wind under 15 miles per hour. When I create that type of a rule base, it will tell me when it is a good time to ride my bike for the rest of the week. And maybe when I mow my lawn, I don't want it to be raining. And I like my temperature within that same range, but I don't mind too much wind. So a different rule for when I'm mowing. And I think it's really nice to have that kind of a feature to know when I can do my activities. Some points to keep in mind about Weather Underground is just like the Weather Channel, it is also owned by IBM. The Weather Channel's policies on privacy are complicated, hard to read, and hard to understand. But Weather Underground is not. It's a very clear policy about how they use the data and how they don't use the data. And right inside the app itself, it gives you a link to change how the app uses your data and even talks about how to turn tracked advertising off on your iPhone. And while it does do some tracking, it tries to keep you very informed about exactly what it's doing, 
how the data is being used, and how you can get out of it. It even has a way that you can get your data removed from its servers. So I think while it does do some tracking, it tries to make it as clear as possible so that you can either stop it or at least understand it. With a $20 per year premium, you can get rid of ads, which is nice. You can get a lot more severe weather alerts, decide if you want those or not. There's no home screen widget, which is surprising, but it does have a connection to if this, then that, which is nice if you're trying to create these formulas like lower my smart shades when sunset happens. Or turn my fans on upstairs if the humidity gets to this level outside. And you get to pick your ideal weather locations. It's very nice for that. You also get an extended hourly forecast for 15 days with the premium. So while I think it's not the perfect app when it comes to security, because again, it does do some tracking. So when it comes to privacy, I still believe it's doing a very good job. Weather Underground is for Apple and Android. Now let's talk a minute about Weather Radar. Radar gets a little bit more complicated because it is taking very complex data from many different sources and combining them into a single view. So the best radar I found is called RadarScope. It costs $10, and it's primarily because it's made for weather geeks. It really wants to give you quick, accurate, and continuously updating data. And it doesn't track you. It is meant for that weather geek. There are also some premium upgrades that you can get if you decide that you want a little bit more data. Do you want a longer loop for your data? Then it's about $1.50 a month. Goes up from there so that you can get professional weather data for storm chasing. You can see how tornadoes are forming. You can see how hail is forming. And it's really pretty good when it comes to that. You can find out more information about it at dtn.com forward slash radarscope dash four, dash zero. The links will be in the show notes. The reason that this app is so good and why so many people love it is the fact that it is giving you accurate radar data. And so most people, what they don't know is that when you look at most radars, whether it's on television or on the app, it's smoothing it. Instead of this blocky view, it's making it nice and jello-y. It is transformed and it's not exactly accurate. While it looks nice, and I also appreciate that nice, smooth, blobby look when it comes to the radar, radar scope doesn't do that. In fact, it gives you radar station by station, primarily in the United States. Because it has that blocky view to it, it's more accurate. That's actually the data that you're getting from the radar. And there's two kinds of data primarily that people use to look at when they're looking at radar data. The reflectivity data shows basically the strength of the energy that is bouncing off the rain or the hail or the tornado and how thick that means that rain shield or the hail shield is. In general, a stronger return means stronger precipitation, means a stronger storm that's happening. Then the second kind of data that's out there is called velocity data. And that means, is the data coming towards the radar or shifting away from the radar? And you might think, that's kind of silly because I can tell if the storm is coming towards me or away from me. But when you're thinking about looking for a tornado, what you're looking for is what they call a hook echo. Well, part of the storm is moving away from you and the other part is moving towards you. It's turned into a cyclone. That means that there's probably a tornado in there. So you can use the velocity radar 
to determine if the storm took a really nasty turn. So that's why people talk about how much they love radar scope. It's weird because you get the round radar and you get one particular radar station at a time, which means you don't get that pretty composite of the whole United States. You just get a particular area at a time. But that data that's coming out of there is top notch. And so usually if you live in a place I do, there's only one radar I really need to look at to determine whether a severe storm is coming my way. Radar scope is $10. It's $30 for the Mac. Premium level one is $10. Premium level two is $15. And the pro level is $100 a year. The website even has more levels. Those tend to be for storm chasers and weather professionals. Radar Omega is very similar to Radar Scope, and it is fairly new in the weather world. A lot of storm chasers have been swearing by this new application. They seem to like it a little bit more. It feels like it's an app on its way up. A lot of development investment is going into it. Some of the bugs that were occurring with the app have been fixed, and a lot of new features are coming out. So people in the weather world are really interested in it. Plus, they felt a little bit like the other apps that were being used for storm chasing was nickel and diming them a bit. So this feels a little bit more clear about the premium levels, how to get the right features unlocked for their storm chasing. Radar Omega is $9, and there are some premium levels. Gamma has some basic enhancements for the radar, while there are other levels going all the way to alpha for storm chasers. Radar Omega is for Android and iOS. That being said, there are some other radar software pieces out there. And my favorite when it comes to a composite is called My Radar. It's free. It is really a good radar. And of course, it smooths the radar so it looks nice and pretty, but it doesn't over-intensify the colors so you think you're doomed. When I was looking at all the different weather radar apps that were out there, some of them increased the color saturation so much that it looked like you were about to get wiped out by an epic level storm. And it just wasn't true. My radar really gives it an appropriate color leveling so you can kind of understand the severity of the weather. There's also My Radar Pro is $4. And that'll give you access to hurricane information, some other radar settings that you might want to have, and removes the ads. And then it does one more thing too. While my radar doesn't do a lot of tracking, it does do some. And my radar pro removes all of it so that the tracking is actually unidentified to you. And then there's another radar slash notification app called Storm Shield. Storm Shield is a decent radar, but the thing that makes Storm Shield so interesting is it has a very fine level of detail when it comes to bad weather notifications. Because you may not know this, but there's probably like 120 different watches and warnings out there in the world. Some of those you want to be brought out of bed if those are coming your way. So for me, a tornado warning, I want to be up. I need to get into my basement anytime that is coming towards my house. If you tell me a heavy snow warning is coming my way, I don't really care to wake up for that. So it gives you that fine level of detail so that you understand all the different notifications you care about and maybe other people care about different notifications. Gives you that personal setting to say, these notifications I want you to wake me up for. These other notifications I want you to tell me about. Storm Shield is free with premium weather for $1 and additional lightning data for another dollar. So let me know what you think and let me know what weather apps you love to look at. 
Again, this is Jill from the Northwoods. You can reach me at jill at smallstepspod.com and at Twitter at smallstepspod. And thank you very much for listening. I told you that Jill outdid herself. Wasn't that awesome? Now, one thing some of you may be yelling at your phones is that uh, Dark Sky, uh, she did mention it was bought by Apple, but Apple has end of life that by the end of, uh, I think, 2022 is what they said. But you know what? By then, maybe they'll just fold it into Apple weather and that won't be a problem for us. Thanks again, Jill. That was fantastic. And boy, that's a relief on everyone's ears to listen to you. Well, it's been a while since I panhandled for monetary contributions to the show, so let me rectify this right now. You know I'm not looking to get rich asking for people to become patrons of the show, but I would dearly like it to not cost me as much as it currently does. If you get value out of the work we do here at the Podfeed Podcast, I'd sure appreciate it if you show your appreciation by making a small weekly or monthly pledge by going to podfeed.com slash Patreon. If you've been supporting the show already financially, I cannot thank you enough. If you've been supporting this show by making recordings for me, in a way, that's even better. Thank you to all who help support the show and make it possible for us to create this content every single week for over 16 years. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Boosh Shots. Welcome back to the show, Bart. Hello, hello, hello. Always a pleasure to chat to you. I was going to say on a Sunday evening, but no, it's it's Saturday. I have a whole extra day of weekend. Wow. Yeah, doesn't it feel, now it feels like you gained, not that you had to yeah. stress out getting everything ready early for me, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yes, exactly. So from this point on, I have this whole bonus day of weekend. It's great. <laughs> well, you're welcome. <laughs> so while you're traveling around, going to fancy pants places? Uh, National <laughs> Park. Going to go to uh, Glacier National Park. It's the, all of the American national parks are on my list of things I would love to see, but Glacier is very high on the list. It's a, it, yeah. I, I have to confess, I, I didn't know about it until last year when we were supposed to go for uh, to babysit the kids while Lindsay and Nolan went to a wedding. Huh. And that's how come we're going. The wedding ended up happening without any guests, and uh, now we're going to Big Fork, Montana. Well, enjoy. It's, uh, as I his name so. suggests, it's pretty mountainous. I hope so. All right. Well, let's uh, let's have some depressing news. What do you got in security for us this week, Bart? Okay. Well, we'll start off with some feedback and follow-ups. Uh, so we talked a lot. Or actually, no. Yeah, no, we talked a lot about Print Nightmare last time. Just to say a new bug has been found in the print spooler. Um, so basically, Microsoft's advice continues to be stop or disable your print spooler. And that's now just their general advice for all Windows machines, really, at the moment. So just... Keep wow. that print spooler off. It's riddled with bugs. It's interesting yeah. that they found that's like three in a row, right? Yes. Like, did nobody think to look at it for a long time? And all of a sudden, everybody went, ooh, fresh meat. That is kind of how it tends to go, right? Because if you, if someone finds one spectacular bug in code that's been around since, you know, Windows 95 or Windows 3.1 or something, then people are like, well, if there was gold there... There's probably gold 100 meters to the left and 100 meters to the right. And, you know, or at the very least, some silver. <laughs> exactly. So it's sort of like, you know, one nugget is found and everyone piles on. And yeah, it, it would appear to be rich pickings. Yikes. Yeah. All righty. Um, 
Ring have done a trial in the States for a while where they had end-to-end encryption on their cameras. The rest of the world now gets to play along. The trial is no longer a trial. It is now a live feature and others get to enjoy it as well. Wow. Well, that's good. And that, I mean, that must mean Amazon being a good steward on that one thing. On that that point, yeah. I mean, there's no way to argue against that point. Um, Yeah, that's good news. uh, Exactly, yeah. Take what you can get. Um, Social media companies are continuing to tweak their platforms to try curb abuses. Uh, WhatsApp are letting users appeal their bans in-app, which I guess makes it a bit easier. Instagram have launched a security checkup feature to help you sort of they walk you through securing your account. A bit like Google, actually. Google have had a good checkup feature for a long time where periodically when you log into Google, they'll say, time for a checkup, and they'll walk you through. Security yeah, do you still have that same steps. phone number for recovery and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, and I kind of like that. It's, it's, it's kind of good to remind you from time to time. So, you know, it's now, good to the WhatsApp. The WhatsApp feature is actually sort of the other way around. It's letting you appeal if you have been banned. Okay, but that, that's the previous story. We're now on to Instagram. I know, security I know. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm going back to the previous story. Is It doesn't actually make the, it less um, spammy or attacky or whatever. It's allowing people to appeal, but m- maybe it allows them to do it well. well so that, okay, re- remember, a real problem on these toxic platforms is where a bunch of people gang up on someone to report them invalidly and get them fake Oh. Banned. Oh, okay. Okay. It's a toxic. I didn't know that was a big thing. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's look, it's it's tribal warfare is what it is. Anyway, uh, Twitter's short experiment with ephemeral tweets is over. Uh, Fleets are no more. And they were quite open about it, actually. It's like, yeah, we tried it. Bad idea. Gone away now. Goodbye. You know, it's so funny. That's like my least favorite thing about the other platforms. (laughs) So I, I didn't want that. Yeah, they tried it, didn't work. So I, I say credit to them for trying and credit to them for giving up as well. I think that's better to, than having all the baggage. Um, they are continuing to roll out finer control. So this is still Twitter about um, who can reply to you on Twitter, which is, again, a way of curbing the toxicity. Uh, so now in the iOS app, you now have the UI for managing that on your older tweets. So if you have an old tweet that starts to get attention you don't want, you can simply say that only my only the people I follow can reply to this tweet. And that just puts oh, an interesting. end to the toxic mess. It's huh, a good feature. But o- only on old tweets. No, no, as in, they've allowed you to do it on your new tweets as you tweet. Oh, okay, okay, right, right. But now they've added the UI to also allow you to go to an older tweet that's causing you problems okay. now and do okay. it as well. Uh, and then in a related note, there is public testing going on of a downvoting feature, which Twitter say is not a dislike for, I don't know, <laughs> PR reasons, I don't want to call that dislike, but anyway, they're experimenting. The audience can't see me tilting my head going, huh? What's a, what's a dislike or what's a downvote that's not a dislike? Well, every, when you upvote something, you like it and that's publicly visible. When you downvote something, no one sees it but you. Oh. So I presume huh. it's an input to the algorithm as opposed to a publicly visible oh. thing. Well, that's, that's an interesting approach. I, I, the way you, the way the title reads, it sounds like a difference without a distinction, but that is a distinction if that's what it, it means. It is a distinction, and sometimes some of the authors on iMore can be a little too opinionated for my liking. Um, that will be an example there because reasons. Yeah, don't be quite so snarky. Um, but the content of the article is good, so I did link to it. But the the the, 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 the headline made me mildly cranky actually. 
Um, and Stephen Getz will like that you dislike that. He can't stand it when somebody says, because reasons. Well, tell him to me or don't. Don't give, yeah. me, don't give me that. That's just passive aggressive, right? And I mean, from the moment you're a two-year-old, you hate that answer. Because I say so. Or because. Oh, that's always the wrong answer, even to a kid. Why can't I stick my finger in the socket? Because it'll kill you. That's an answer. <laughs> because I said so is not. Anyway. Um, I didn't really have a better place to throw this in the show notes. They're not really social media. But anyway, Google have made it easier to quickly delete your last 15 minutes of search history. So oh, just, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, huh. click a button and undo. So if you're in the middle of doing a research project on something you don't particularly want to have lingering associated with history, you. <laughs> yeah, you can just make it go away. A lot of podcasters actually say that if you were to look at their search history, it would look horrific because they might be recording a <laughs> podcast episode on, you know, fertilizer bombs or something, which is an entirely innocent thing if you're, a, you know, a current affairs podcast, but out of context, not so healthy. Right. Or you can even see if you got a, you know, you were doing research on QAnon and now all of your, all of your YouTube videos are going to be QAnon garbage or something like that. You know, that's, that's true, not yeah. really what you want to see. Yeah, exactly. I actually have separate Google accounts for personal and work stuff. Kind of for that reason. Well, not for not because in work I look up QAnon, but just because I don't want my searches polluted by what I do with my other hat on. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the effects of Apple's app tracking transparency continue to make themselves felt. Um, three stories sort of crossed my radar, and it's kind of interesting that there's there's a bit of a range in them. So on the one hand, um, we have uh, people in the ad industry saying that they're seeing about a twenty percent reduction in revenue. Okay. So some companies only 10%, some companies 30 or 40%, but so about 20%. Um, then another another story we have uh, advertisers panicking as 75% of iOS users refuse to be tracked. That article Actually, is full. What if those are both true? 75% of iOS users refuse to be tracked, and yet the advertisers are still only losing 20% of the money. Those could they, both I mean, be... they are both true, right? So, yeah, absolutely. They're not in conflict with each other, I don't think. Yeah. When uh, I first read it, I was thinking that was in conflict, but maybe not. Well, no, because there shouldn't be a one-to-one ratio between how much tracking you do and how much money you make, which I've said forever, that, that this whole myth that if you don't track people, you can't make money is, is garbage because you can they might target... start to They might start to converge over time, though. That, that 20% uh, revenue drop might go down. Actually, it might go up. I mean, it could go either way, right? It could go either way, but if they start to focus on advertisements targeted at the where rather than the who, then they should be able to get their revenue back. Because you can target ads at the context or you can target ads at the person. And, and there has been a fetish in the industry the last while to target at the person because you, because they can, frankly, right? You could never do that with a billboard. You could never do that on the television. You could never do that in a magazine. But you could on the internet, so why not? But for most of advertising history, you've targeted based on context. Right. So now the internet is just normal. It's like, that's what advertisers have been doing everywhere else forever. So why can't they do it on the internet? <laughs> um, and on the last one, again, Twitter seems to be less toxic than everything else, because yet again, Twitter are saying that they're actually having less of an impact than they had planned uh, with the tracking changes. So th they had an earnings call where they were like, yeah, we'd set aside money and it turns out it didn't affect us as much as we thought. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. So they don't need to be as creepy. 
Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's an interesting array of stories there. Um, yeah, and a, a lot, ultimately, like you said, a lot of it is we don't know. Let's see how it develops, which is it's kind of been an interesting experiment, this whole abstracting transparency thing. Right. So that brings us on to our deep dive of the week or the fortnight. Um, and it's quite the deep dive. So I think you need to be under some sort of rock not to be aware that there's a Israeli security firm called the NSO Group and that they have a piece of malware for sale called Pegasus and right. uh, Apple are involved somehow so we should be panicked all of us mm. okay no I'm gonna wait and find mm. out <laughs> I'm just trolling yes Bert and, right now yes I know yeah so in a well-orchestrated campaign 16 newspapers and Amnesty International broke a story detailing how spyware called Pegasus by the grey hat, as I have been calling them for years, NSO Group was used by government agencies around the world to spy on journalists, politicians, campaigners, and even, rather disgustingly, the family members of journalists, politicians, and campaigners. Which That's just an extra shade of slimy. Um, yeah. This story got a lot of extra hype because 23 iPhones were hacked using a previously unknown zero-click iOS exploit. So... Zero click is um, where you don't rely on the user to do anything. So yeah. a lot of for a lot of Pegasus's history, it, they it was spread by spear phishing. But as we'll talk about later, Pegasus, like if you've had the same, if you if you've had a paintbrush where you've changed the head a thousand times and the handle a thousand times, is it still the same paintbrush? Because that's what Pegasus is. It's the same brand, but they're constantly and continuously changing the app because they're always trying to be one step ahead of Google and Apple because they have to. Anyway, we'll dig into that in a bit more detail. So, okay. Most of the, a lot of the reporting has, has, has focused rightly, I think, on the cesspool that is this gray hat security industry. So you have for-profit companies selling malware to repressive regimes on the promise that they won't abuse it. And that promise has just been broken over and over again. I, I have known about the NSO group for years. And I sort of, I decided to do, I spent a bit of time today actually on the Wikipedia page for the NSO group just to make sure I wasn't misremembering. Just, just to make sure that I hadn't somehow in my mind imagined this had been going on for longer than it had. No, I wasn't imagining things. I really have been hearing about these guys for almost a decade. The, the first oh, government wow. to, ad, to admit to using them was Mexico in 2012. And immediately, they got into all sorts of trouble for using the technology to spy on journalists. 2012. So, so they were doing it then. <laughs> yeah. Specifically and really, this. nothing has changed since, right? So, and the Pegasus software has been around all that time too. So the way you should think of the Pegasus software is that it's, it's, it's a brand name for an ever-evolving suite of three things. And each of these three things is being changed out all the time. So the first thing the Pegasus does is it exploits mobile phones using whatever zero-day vulnerability the NSO group have in their arsenal at that moment in time. So the NSO okay. group are paying vast amounts of money for zero days in iOS and Android and when they find them, they incorporate them in their in their software that they sell to governments, and they use those to break into iPhones and Android phones. 
And they okay. don't only focus on the OS. They also focus on anything else that'll get them in. So very famously in 2019, they got in through a zero day in WhatsApp. And that actually got them quite a bit of publicity, which is why they were relatively recently in my head. So they had, there was a zero day okay. in WhatsApp that let them break in. I think that was zero click as well, actually, that let them and steal WhatsApp everyone's is message a, history. And WhatsApp is a, is a great target because that's what people use to communicate who are journalists, activists, that sort of thing, right? Exactly. Exactly. And for anything that's encrypted in transit, end-to-end encrypted in particular, then if you want to spy on it, you need to be at an end, right? If it's end-to-end encrypted, well, it's unencrypted at the two ends. So you need to get yourself at an end. So breaking into WhatsApp is absolutely crown jewel territory. So they go after zero days in iOS, they go after zero days in Android, they go after zero days in WhatsApp, they'll go after whatever zero day can get them in. And depending on the zero day they have, sometimes they'll need to do spear phishing, sometimes they'll need to trick you into visiting a dodgy web page. They will do whatever they need to do to get you to do whatever you need to do. The most recent hack is extra, if you'll excuse the phrase, sexy, because it involved a zero click where you don't need user interaction. So that's, that's so no, an extra, no phishing required. No phishing required. That's a particularly good zero day at the moment. That zero day will, like all zero days, it, will, it has a limited shelf life. So once they're in somehow, the next step is that they gather as much data as they can. And again, that depends on what exploits they have at their disposal. So if there happens to be a hole that allows you quick access to the camera without getting user permission, well then, hey, presto, we can turn this thing into a spying device. Superb. Oh, that's not available at the moment. Okay, then we'll hoover up all their photos. Or we'll hoover up everything out of WhatsApp. Or we'll... Basically, whatever exploits they can get with whatever level of access they've managed to get, they will just hoover it all up. And then the third piece of the puzzle is how do I sneak the data back out, which is called Oh, right, without you noticing? Right, because at the whole point is that if they're noticed, they're in big trouble. So they're, they're looking for technologies to sneak stuff out, they're looking for technologies to get in, and they're looking for technologies to poke about. And really... So let me, you, you said the word, and I spoke right over it, you said that's called exfiltration. Exfiltration, so you exfiltrate okay. the data. Yeah. And all three of those components are constantly and continuously changing. So it, has Pegasus been around for a decade, or is Pegasus always brand new? Yes. <laughs> right? Okay. Right. And right. so as Google and Apple are always locking things down, the NSO group are having to find new vulnerabilities and having to re-engineer each of these three parts constantly and continuously. It is absolutely a cat and mouse game. Um, and what they can do just varies. So sometimes they'll need people not to be on the latest iOS Right now, even the latest iOS, you are still vulnerable. But, you know, in a few weeks' time, that'll probably change because Apple will definitely patch whatever they're using at the moment. They may already have because um, a a point release just came out the other day. Um, I don't think we know for certain because there's a lot of this is uncertain. But it's going to be always changing. So it is definitely the case that if you don't patch your phone, Pegasus is going to get in very easily because all the old exploits are going to keep working and they're going to keep trying them. But if you do patch your phone, you're not invulnerable because Hmm. they may have a zero day Apple don't know about yet. And and as long as that window exists, they're going to keep using it. But there's an interesting economics going on here. And always follow the money. So the NSO group have to spend a lot of money on a zero day. And if anyone notices them using it, it becomes worthless instantly because it will be patched. 
Right. So they have right. to use it as little as possible. Hmm. Which is why okay. it's 23 iPhones that were hacked. Not 23,000. 23. Yeah, I was kind of wondering that. Why didn't they just, you know, do it to everybody? Because if you do it to everybody, then the door closes immediately. And so this really, like, we, we know from some interviews that you know, they have 40 customers. That is, their total customer base is 40. So that could be 40 governments. Uh, no, it's even less than that, because uh, if a military and the government from the same country have contracts, then it's two customers, one country. Okay. So it's less than 40 countries, but it's 40 customers. Hmm. Okay. And they also say that on average, each customer does 100 targets a year. Wow. Really, really pinpointing. It's really, really pinpoint because these zero days are so valuable. And if they sneak out, that's it. The gate is slammed in their face. So they have to be this pinpointed because otherwise mm. this super duper stuff doesn't work anymore. So there's very interesting economics going on here, which I think it's very important to watch out for. And it, yeah, it's I think, also I think one thing that is interesting in all of this is that zero click vulnerabilities exist. That, that's just, I just want to back up a little bit to that because I don't think I realized that those existed in Android and in iOS until this From story time broke. to time. Yeah. I mean, right now there is one in iOS. Yeah. Yeah. And that so is... Take that your snarky Android sucks hat off, kids. <laughs> well, right. Look, at, at the end, right, this is one of those things. So all software is written by humans. All humans make mistakes. All software will have mistakes. And... You know, it's not binary. An app isn't well-engineered or badly engineered. It's way more subtle than that. And so Apple have a particularly good architecture, which means that they tend to be better protected, but not perfectly. Right. So, and Apple are also continuously adjusting their architecture to take into account what they discover. So they're getting ever more secure. But again, it's a cat and mouse game. So I was sort of trying to think of an analogy while I was out cycling and... You know, when I was growing up, car safety wasn't a thing the way it is now, right? Now we have all of these like ratings on car safety and every car company makes safe cars because otherwise you can't sell in the EU, right? You have to meet a very high end cap rating to be allowed to sell your car in the EU. But when I was a kid, very few companies did that because you were basically doing it voluntarily. So you had Volvos and you had cars, (laughs) And Volvos were safer, like definitely safer. But people were killed in Volvos all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you had a better shot. You had a better shot. And so I I would argue very strongly that iOS is still your best shot. It is still the Volvo. But people (laughs) die the Volvo of phones. Right, exactly. Right, right. You know, it, it is not perfect. And, you know, there are, you can make critiques that Apple could do things better. And of course they could. And they are constantly evolving as well. So this is not evidence that you should throw away your iPhone. And something that made me really cranky about this re- recording or about this reporting is the Washington Post had two articles. They had one article focusing on the NSO group and the, what I think is the appropriate part of this. You know, there is an industry selling this malware to governments, right? And it is being abused. But they have another story, which is all about how, despite the hype, iPhones are not safe. I mean, the headline is even <laughs> clickbaity. Actually, let me, let me get the exact headline so I don't misquote them. Uh, 
Actually, yeah, I'm almost exactly there. Despite the hype, iPhone security no match for NSO spyware. The subhead is International Investigation finds 23 Apple devices were successfully hacked. Now, the subhead and the headline there don't quite sing in the same register, do they? Yeah, no, no, not at all. I, I, I wanted to add one thing to your, to your safety analogy. Did you know mm-hmm. when I was growing up, seatbelts weren't a thing? Like they, they weren't mandatory to exist in cars. And the other yeah. thing that wasn't there was a, um, a, an opposite to the driver side view mirror. I remember because oh my, my brother only has, yeah, my brother only has one eye. He does not have a right eye. And so by law, he was required to add a right side view mirror to his, to, because he can't look over his right shoulder. So right, he was right. required to add one. And I remember us getting it installed in the car when he was learning to drive. How did cyclists not just get killed at every <laughs> junction? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I love it when we ask things like that. Like, it's really common to say, you know, well, I never wore a helmet cycling when I was a kid. It's like, yeah, but little Billy isn't here to tell that story that he did die in the, not wearing yeah. a helmet, right? Yeah. Everybody who's telling the story just got lucky or, you know, statistically was okay. But little Billy yeah. isn't here to tell that story. Yeah, and there's no way I'd get on a bike without a helmet. I'd feel that... It- no way I get in a car without that snug feeling of a seatbelt. It yep. just feels wrong. I feel like I'm going to fall up. <laughs> like, even if I'm just backing my car out of, the, out of the garage, I still put it on. I can't not do it. You're right. I, I have done, you know, like when, when I needed to put a bit of weed killer on the driveway or something, I would, you know, roll the car 10 meters and I would put my seatbelt on because <laughs> it feels wrong. For the thing to move without a seatbelt on. It didn't take long to convince our kids to wear seatbelts, but when they were real little, I started telling them that the car wouldn't start if they didn't put it on. (laughs) That works. Well, I mean, American cars bung at you. That was something that didn't happen when we were kids. Your car didn't bung at you and you didn't have a seatbelt on. Oh, interesting. Um, All right. Okay, so I do just want to get back to this whole clickbait thing for one more point, because what really set me over the edge, the headline already had me on my sort of cranky mode. But further down the piece, they say, well, we found 23 iPhones, but we only found 14 Androids. And so they give the two numbers next to each other. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. A paragraph later, they then say, but Android doesn't log enough data for the forensics to find the infection. So we actually don't know how many Androids were actually infected. Oh, come well, Why on. did you give those two numbers in the paragraph before and make it sound like that's a comparison? Yeah. That's such, I mean, that's well, that and, kind and of shoddy... Washington Post, what are you doing? That's gutter press. And the other thing is, since they're targeting specific people, may, let's say 24, like and, or, uh, 24 and 14 were the right numbers. It could be, I want those 24 people and those 14 people. Well, that's just the right? thing, of course. Did they target an equal number of devices? Right, probably Why not. they did? Right. I mean, it could have been two to one Android, could have been two to one uh, Apple, could have been 90% Apple. Apple. Yeah. It, it's, it's not a relevant metric in any way. Exactly. It, it is presented. a true statement to say that, that humans write software and software, so software will have bugs. Yeah. It's just, it's just the whole article, the whole thing was just written in, in that sort of a, I want to find the story to go with the headline that says Apple are bad. Because like yeah. someone basically went, we want the headline to be, despite hype, iPhone, no security match. And they just went and looked for how to fit that headline. Did did you find anything in any of the articles about any governments doing anything to stop uh, the uh, NSO group from doing this? 
Is there well, any the NSO leverage? Group don't do this at all. It's the other way around. So the NS, the, that's another interesting thing. So the NSO group's Wait. defense is we don't know what people do with our tool because it's software as a service. So the governments don't stop the NSO group. It's the other way around. So the NSO group sell, basically they sell a copy of the software running in the No, cloud. I understand that. I understand that. But if NSO group didn't sell this to these governments that are doing these terrible things, then these terrible things wouldn't happen. So are any oh, of the governments, I'm not saying the governments that are using the software. I'm saying like, the ones. like, like is, the, is the EU doing sanctions against uh, Israel for the, it's an Israeli company, right? It is an Israeli company, yes. I mean, is, so I, I, is there any motion towards trying to make them stop? That you there saw. hasn't been that I have seen, but that doesn't okay. mean it isn't happening. So yeah. Yeah. an interesting thing about this, actually, so according to Israeli law, these, this company is an arms exporter. And so they actually have to have paperwork to say that they are selling this to legitimate regimes. The problem is the definition oh. of a legitimate regime does not appear to be particularly solid. And they also oh, said in interviews that they actually removed access from two governments this year for breach of the terms of service. Huh. Well, and legitimate regimes could very easily be the United States, and the United States be one of the companies, one of the governments doing exactly this. Well, we're almost right? we don't know. Hungary is one of the companies, one of the countries. Hungary, Hungary, and Hungary okay. are currently uh, Hungary are currently basically a totalitarian state in Europe. They are a scary, scary, scary place at the moment. Uh, yeah, but but I'm, I'm trying to make the reverse point. One of we don't know who all of the governments are that that Correct. bought this, right? So one of them could be the United States, which I would suggest is a legitimate regime. And yet they're doing this to spy on journalists from Iran or wherever. Quite possibly, because one of the things the NSO group were very keen to say is that this wasn't used against Americans. Um, which is interesting, because on the one hand, they're saying, <laughs> we don't know what our customers do with our service. We just sell it and they use it to target whoever they like. So that's what they're saying mm. out of one side of their mouth. Simultaneously, we are certain it was our software was not used in the Jamal Khashoggi murder, and no Americans were targeted. Well, either you know or you don't. How can yeah. how, how can you claim not to know and be absolutely certain no Americans and it wasn't used in the Jamal Khashoggi? And and wasn't uh, were were two of the people the targeted were journalists investigating the Khashoggi murder murder? I believe that is correct. Yeah. Yeah, they just didn't happen to be American journalists. Yeah. Okay. This is this is. I'm going to go take a shower, Bart. I, I know, I know. So, um, another just before you go take that shower, another point, <laughs> and this I think this reflects poorly on Amnesty International of all people. They discovered this iOS zero click exploit quite early into their investigation, and they chose not to responsibly disclose. They kept it as, to this day, you can have your iPhone hacked until they published. So oh, they have exposed the people they claim to be protecting to needless danger for weeks, if not months, to help preserve uh, the story. Who was it that had the story again? Well, everyone did, right? But Amnesty International are the leaders. Amnesty in International. Yeah, Amnesty International really? led the pack here. And they did not responsibly disclose. Presumably under That's... pressure from people like the Washington Post, because it's more sexy to say, today your iPhone is still vulnerable. I, it just disgusts me that there was no responsible disclosure. If this was really yeah. about fighting this, 
then it would have been disclosed so the boat could be patched. Wow. But they left everyone in danger to get a more sensationalist headline. And that's just wrong to me. I just find that objectionable on its face. Yeah. And then just a final thought you might be wondering. Well, what did we actually learn that we didn't know before? Basically nothing. Because you have talked about it before, right? But we have. I've talked about NSO Group to you. I've used the word grey hat. The only difference is that this time, because it was done as a 16-newspaper collaboration, all making their headlines on the same day at the same time together, it actually got traction. This should have gotten traction every other time it was reported. But I don't think the world was ready to hear it. Huh. Whereas now the world is ready, and frankly, they did a really good job of publishing the story. You know, the, the, from a PR objective, getting the story out point of view, it was very well done this time. So what succeeded here is getting people to care. Not really new stuff. Hmm. But at the end of the day, the fact that this is now something that random Joe Soap on the street knows about is progress. Yeah. Now, the reaction is probably that everybody think, thinks that their phone is about to be hacked. Uh, well, yeah, because that's the, that's the human reaction, right? This must affect me somehow. I must be special enough. No. 23 out of the whole planet, you're not special enough. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I guess that's the only thing to make you feel a little bit better. They're probably not after you. Uh, only a little bit better because... I think it's very, very, very unlikely that anyone important enough listens to us. So we, as Nacilla Castaways, are exceptionally unlikely to be directly affected. But this has a cooling impact, or in fact, a locking people up impact, on the journalism that is supposed to be protecting the societies we all live in. So aren't we all affected? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, now you can take the shower. Now I can take a shower. We need one after that. Uh, but before you take your shower, go do some patching. Let your computer patch itself while you're showering. Um, it has been Patch Tuesday. 116 bugs have been squished, including four actively exploited in the wild bugs in Microsoft land. Is Meanwhile, that a big number? in Apple land. Is that a big number? Sounds big. It is big. It's, a, it's an but above average. It is good. Uh, the four actively exploited is is more than average as well. Usually it's one or two being actively exploited. So it, it's definitely that Microsoft were busy. Uh, despite being distracted by Print Nightmare, they were still busy with other stuff. Uh, Apple also released patches for pretty much everything. And um, I haven't had definitive reporting, but everyone is like, I think this uh, this bug here, which Apple described in a very wishy-washy way, is the percentage sign SSID problem. So the consensus seems to be that that's fixed. I just haven't seen oh. a 100% confirmation of that. Okay. I don't think it was a huge problem, just an entertaining... It wasn't a huge problem yet, but the way these bugs work is if you can make the thing crash, that's the first step towards making it run arbitrary code. Uh, so it's good to patch it while it's only at the haha crash stage before the security researchers figure out how to trick it into the execute code stage, because that's way scarier. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, what are the warnings then? I don't know how hair on fire this is. Um Thousands of Humana customers have had their medical data leaked because they left a database open. Uh, I believe they're a fairly important American healthcare company. 
Yeah, I think they make um, a rheumatoid arthritis medication is what I, am I remembering? Or maybe it's a health plan. I thought it was a health plan. But oh, it's the third largest health insurance company in the United States. Look at me. Okay. Nice. Yeah, that's not good then. That's not good then. Yeah, it's kind of anyway, what you le- really want. Yeah. Le- leaving that aside, onto notable news. These are mostly, mostly better. Uh, Xbox Family Settings app has gotten a big upgrade to make it easier for parents to control the spending of their kids on the Xbox platform. When a company provides you parental controls to save your wallet, please take the time to use those parental controls. And, you know, last time we talked about the guy in England who lost a car because of this kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, do that. Uh, I think you sent me on this next one, Alison. Uh, the British government, in some sort of misguided, will someone think of the children approach, have made it at the moment it's a uh, recommendation it's there's no legal weight behind it but the department of digital media culture and sport which tells you something about how the british government sees <laughs> the internet digital media culture and sport because they're all the same so so football and and video streaming are in the same category yeah as digital yeah, anyway, yeah, that's, that's bizarre to me. But anyway, they are saying that children's content shouldn't be end-to-end encrypted, which is, I, I, I don't, I do not comprehend how you can be so silly, but there we are. Now, hopefully uh, that will get protested and stopped before it's passed a request. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, the Biden administration have formally accused China of being behind the Microsoft Exchange hacks from earlier in the year. Actually, that probably should have been up in the follow-up section. But anyway. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, the US government have launched a new portal to fight ransomware. Um, basically, it aggregates resources from the various US government agencies into one portal with a memorable URL. StopRansomware.gov <laughs> I think that you know, it, that I think that is a good use of a .gov top level domain. So, stuff from the FBI, stuff from CISA, from US CERT and stuff, it's all there together at stopransomware.gov. So, if you're trying to remember where was that, you know, five step program for what I should do to protect my business or whatever, it's all at stopransomware.gov. Okay, good. In terms That's of interesting, it is. No, it is. Uh, in terms of interesting insights, then this isn't going to make you happy, but it was fascinating. So Motherboard have done an in-depth piece, which and Motherboard is now owned by Vice, so the URL is vice.com, but it is a Motherboard article, um, inside the industry that unmasks people at scale. So we keep on hearing that the advertiser ID, we shouldn't worry about it because it's anonymous data. There is literally a multi-million dollar industry which offers as its product de-anonymization of all of those quote-unquote anonymous advertising IDs. And so Motherboard decided Wait, to pose de-anonymization a of right. an, I thought the, that anonymization thing was scrambling it, so you couldn't de-anonymize it. Right, but you reassemble it, not by breaking the anonymization directly, but by basically saying, well, this same anonym, anonymous ID has been here, 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 and here. We have information coming from these 20,000 sources. When you oh. put it all together, you're left with one possibility. Someone who is, you know, it, it doesn't take long to know that if it's someone who's a certain age, certain gender, living in Manus, working in the university, like cycling, you're down to me pretty quickly. Yeah, I picture this being like a, uh, a puzzle. Uh, a mm. jigsaw puzzle you can break it apart 
and it is scrambled, but with some logic, you can put it back together again. Especially if you have enough places sending you pieces. Oh, this analogy works really well. And that's basically how it works. The ad industry has so many little tracking cookies and little bits and bobs information. They aggregate it all together. It's these data aggregation companies. And they sell as a service connecting personally identifiable PII to anonymous IDs. That's the service they sell. So would that would also be true of the way Apple says they anonymize data about us, wouldn't it? I mean, well, no, the, because you don't have the tracking ID, right? That's what AT, App Tracking Transparency, ATT, that's what uh-huh. ATT blocks, is this ID. So it's the existence of the ID that makes them be able to put the jigsaw puzzle back together? Correct. The ID, the ID is the thing that stays the same, and the ID... Okay tags lots of random pieces of information okay. and those random pieces of information when there is enough of them become you. Okay, so so the tracking ID doesn't know you're Bart, but it knows that you cycle and you live in Maynooth and you work at a university. Okay. Exactly, exactly. And very quickly it puts it all back together. I'm glad I asked because I was, I was confused on that. Yeah. It's a good story and basically whenever you hear the advertising industry say that there's no need for app tracking transparency because everyone's perfectly safe and we're not it's not personally identifiable information. This proves how much of a lie that is. It is literally a service they sell. Wow. Okay. So. Awesome. Now, some palate cleansing. I love having an opportunity to recommend all-round great podcaster and friend of the show. So uh, know a little more gets another recommendation from me. Uh, so Tom Merritt's great work again. We regularly talk about cookies, right? They are topical. And I have explained them as best as I can. But quite frankly, Tom's better at it than me. So there's an ep- the recent episode about Know A Little More is HTTP cookies, and it's fantastic. I couldn't critique it if I tried. So Oh, excellent, see. excellent. Yeah, I love that show. I have not, I've not listened to that one yet. I've got that one, and he's got another one about backup strategies. So that should be fun, too. Mm. The backup search one's interesting because he's, he's he's taken the new approach where a lot of the a lot of the ones like the HTTP cookies are extremely researched and it's sort of like a a funny humor filled but extremely factual article, whereas some of right. these more recent ones are well informed opinion. So they're still yeah, well informed. Like he, he did one on on how to how to uh, pay attention to the news. And it yes. was, you know, that is, is very vein. much an opinion of, of how he approaches it to not make his head explode and be driven crazy by everything you read. And, yep. you know, how to pick sources, how to vet them and, and how to figure out what to listen to and not listen to. And, and he's, you know, apolitical in his explanation of it. It was really interesting. Not at all like one that explains HTTP cookies or 5G or anything like that. Yeah. Well, the backup one is in the same vein as the news one you mentioned there. And the news one is superb. Um, it's interesting how similar our approach is because I was listening to it going, yeah, that's my approach. Yeah, that's my approach. Yeah, that's my approach, which is interesting. But anyway, so um, that's all I got for for this week. But I think quite a bit for us to digest there. Yeah, I remember when I first said, well, I guess we'll spend most of our time talking about uh, Pegasus and uh, NSO Group. And you said, well, there's really not that much to say. We already knew about it. We knew it was there. But uh, I liked having the flesh on it. That was that was great. Also, it's the silly season and nothing else happened. <laughs> <laughs> so we could really dig our teeth in. That was that was good. Even though I do have to go take a shower now. Yeah, well, I do too, but that's more to do with the weather. Uh. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, right, Bart, folks. Well, I really appreciate you uh, doing this early, and uh, congratulations on your uh, empty weekend now. Yay! I w- and the sun is out tomorrow as well. That's even better timing, so I get to go out on my bike without having to worry about getting home in time, so I can, I can cycle as far as I want. Yay! Nice. Anyway, safe travels, enjoy your holiday, and remember, everyone, stay patched so you stay secure. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions, everything is fiddly recordings, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. Remember by panhandling? You can do that by going to podfeet.com slash Patreon. If you want to do a one-time donation instead, podfeet.com slash PayPal. If you want to join our Slack community where we have tons of fantastic conversation, you can go to podfeet.com slash Slack. And if you prefer Facebook, you can go to podfeet.com slash Facebook. Heck, join them both. There's fun people in both areas. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, not this weekend, but starting next week again, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly, enthusiastic No Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.